Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or walmart.com. Hello, women of strength. We are so excited to be with you today. I am hoping that it is Wednesday or maybe you're just listening all over and and it's a Tuesday or a Saturday, but this is Wednesday and we're so excited to be back with you with another amazing story as usual. We have our friend Zoe today and she is from Washington and she is going to share her VBAC story with you and we're going to talk a little bit about unsupportive providers. So if you are finding yourself stuck in that spot of not having a supportive provider, stick around because we are going to be sharing some tips and she's even got a name to give you if you were in Washington. So hang tight and listen for up for that. Before we dive into her amazing story, we are going to do, of course, a review of the week. And this review is on, was Apple Podcasts. And it says, I got my V back. I am four days out from my VBAC. I told my husband today it was the greatest accomplishment of my life thus far. Thank you, Julie and Megan, and all the wonderful women of strength who shared their stories. I cried so many times on my daily walks while listening to this podcast, including the day before my TOLAC started. It was truly inspiring and one of my main resources in preparing for my VBAC, and I will continue to listen to every new episode. Well, this is from JM Clean 4 and thank you for your review. Congrats on your VBAC, and I hope that you are still sticking around so you can hear your review today. You are tuned into the VBAC Link Podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Zoe, thank you so much for being here with us today. I can't wait to hear your story and how you navigated through working with a not so supportive provider. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to be here. Well, welcome, welcome. Dive right in. All right. So when I had my son, 
he was 10 days past due when I had him. He had been breached up until he was about 35 weeks. And I'd been really concerned about it, actually, because I know that breach can't run in the family, but my brother was breach, my mother was breach, my her mom was breach, and I didn't even know that that could happen. <laughs> but so they were all breach, and so I was really concerned about it. So I talked to my midwife, and fortunately, my son flipped at about 35 and a half weeks. So kind of right before that cut off oh, where we'd have to yeah. do something. Yeah. And kind of nerve wracking. I mean, incredibly nerve wracking because yeah. COVID was happening and we weren't sure what the hospital policies were. They were changing oh. nonstop. Yeah. Uh, so I was really anxious about it, <laughs> but thankfully he did flip at 35 and a half weeks, but it was crazy because when he flipped, I actually kind of got this feeling of dread. I was so worried that something bad was going to happen to him or me during birth. It was, I just, I couldn't shake it. Whenever anything bad is going through my head, I'll usually just try and write it down to get it out. And, mm. but every time I wrote it down, it would almost be like a goodbye letter to my husband. Oh yeah. And I just, I could not shake it for the life of me, which was crazy. Cause I had complete faith in my body. I truly believe that our bodies are made to birth and that every, my body could do it, but I was just really afraid for the first time. And it was the instant I found out he had flipped. So at um, nine days past my due date, I woke up at 530 in the morning and I was getting this lower back pain, pretty consistent. And I was starting to go into labor. My husband hung out with me all day and we just kind of were really chill for the whole day. And by about 10 p.m., the midwife said that I was good to go into the birth center. I, my contractions were about two minutes apart, a minute each. But the thing was, is that even though I had been in labor that long and my contractions were so close together, I didn't feel like anything was changing or adjusting in my body, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. No, yeah, totally. I mean, that's something that we talk about with our, our doula clients, right? Is sometimes like that pattern reflects like really go like, close to go time. Right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't always mean that physically inside things are changing the way that you would think the pattern would show. Yes. I had watched my best friend give a natural unmedicated birth to her daughter. And what I saw happening with her was not physically happening mm -hmm. with me. Like mm -hmm. I could think through each contraction and it just kind of felt like the contractions were all that was happening. My son was mm -hmm. still moving. He was doing good, but nothing was changing in my body. And so, which was kind of adding to my feeling of something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So we get to the birth center at about midnight and my midwife checks me and I'm barely a centimeter dilated if that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So she's about to send me home. She's like, you're a first time mom. It happens. It's just kind of one of those things. But she sits and she watches me for a few contractions and she's like, you know, I think I'm going to have you stay for a little bit if you're okay. Like, absolutely. So she has me lay in the bed. My husband's behind me. So I'm leaning into him through each contraction. And my midwife gave me these pills. I'm not quite sure what they were, but it was kind of to ease any anxiety between each contraction. And so, There's and it really of, like, um, oh, I'm, I, I like can see cause my, I've had a client that's been given. Did you put it under your tongue? Like yes. A little, yeah. Oh, what is it? 
Anyway, <laughs> I know I'm going to think about it. We'll come back. But that perfect. <laughs> I've had clients have had that and it did help them. Yes. Yes. And it did. I just leaned into my husband between each contraction and relaxed and then went through the next one. And my midwife was telling me to vocalize during each contraction, but I didn't have an urge to do that. I didn't really need to, which was another thing that just felt a little odd for birth. And so it was midnight when that happened at about 5 a.m. My midwife woke me up because I had actually fallen asleep and my contractions had basically stopped. So 24 hours after they started, they just stopped all on their own. And she asked if she could do a cervical check because she kind of wanted to know what was going on. And so I agreed and she does a cervical check. And the first thing she says is, well, you're handling this really well. Because I guess that some people get pain with cervical checks, but the instant she did it, I felt almost a relief of pressure inside. And so she finishes, I still haven't really dilated. And she tells me that she thinks that my son is stuck behind my pelvis Hmm. and she would like to transfer me to the hospital. As soon as she said that, I had this wave of relief. Like, (laughs) like maybe I haven't been crazy this whole time. Um, (laughs) And so we go to the hospital, we check in, Um, it's COVID, so there's not really anyone in the labor and delivery other than needed. And we honestly just had the best experience from there. My midwife met us at the hospital and she's like, so these are the options that we have for you. We're pretty sure he's stuck behind your pelvis. We didn't know the gender at the time, so she was just saying the baby. And... We have the option to do Pitocin to possibly jumpstart your contractions and it can push the baby into where he needs to be or, but you can be into labor for up to three days or we can do a C-section. I took a moment to talk to my husband and hearing that Pitocin could push my baby into where he needed to be sounded so scary to me. I'm like, I don't like to be a pushed, pushed as an adult. I don't, (laughs) I don't want to push my newborn and possibly hurt him. And so we decided to do the C-section and it was really amazing because I had a really hard time coming to that conclusion. And the midwife came in and she asked how we were feeling. And I start asking all these questions about C-sections because I was stalling. I didn't want to say I want a C-section because it felt like giving up. And my midwife looks at me and she says, you have permission to have a C-section. It is okay if that is what you need to do. You've done everything you can. And I just started crying. <laughs> it was just exactly like, what I needed to hear. Because you felt relief. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just, I needed to know that it was okay for me to do that. And we were so lucky. I hadn't done any research on C-sections at all. And every single person that was going to be in my birth room took the time to come in and introduce themselves, tell me exactly what they were doing, asking me what I wanted out of this birth. They offered me the clear drape. I didn't even know that was a thing. So I was incredibly fortunate. Um, We get into the room for the C-section. They do the spinal tap. They bring my husband in afterward. And I get really nauseous. The anesthesiologist is on top of it. And he gives me medication to help with it. And at this point, I was just so exhausted. And everything felt kind of fuzzy. But I was still there, which was nice. And they start to lift my son out of me and we didn't know the gender and they lift him up and I just remember the umbilical cord is in the way so we still don't know if it's a boy or girl (laughs) and then they moved the umbilical cord we found out it was a boy and we were so excited 
And all of a sudden, everyone in the room is taking bets on how much he's going to weigh. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's huge. And it was just such a lighthearted, wonderful thing. And my son was 10 pounds, one ounce. And it was just great. We were so excited. They put him on my chest. And something that I'll never really forget, though, is they put him on my chest and I couldn't even feel excited. I was just so exhausted and I had so many drugs running through my system. And I looked at my husband and I asked him to take our son. I was like, I'm just so tired. And so, you know, my husband scooped him up off me and they finished sewing me up and they wheel me back. And I'm sweating so much that they can't even stick anything on me. Everything's just sliding right off. And I just, I remember all of those small things and then when it was time for me to get to bond with my son, I felt really protective of him, but I I wouldn't say I had that immediate love for him. I would do anything for him. I would make sure he was okay. But, you know, everyone always talks about this overwhelming sense of love you have as soon as your baby's born. And I just felt really protective of him. And it took a little bit for that love to really come in. But it did. And I was able to breastfeed him. And we had an amazing breastfeeding journey for 20 months. So when my son was about a year and a half, my husband and I decided to try for another baby and we got pregnant right away. And at this point we had moved to Wenatchee, Washington. And as soon as we found out we were pregnant, my husband actually started calling the midwives and the birth centers. And that's how we found out that they don't do VBACs here in Washington. Mm. Um, Yes. So I started doing a lot of research and I found an amazing provider. Her name is Bridget Kamen and she was just the most amazing provider I could have found. Something I also want to add is after I had my son, my midwife had come in and she's like, you would be an amazing candidate for a VBAC. And my mm-hmm. husband's like, what's a VBAC? He looked at me and he asked, and I thought it was a vacuum birth. I didn't know oh. that. <laughs> That's how little I knew about. <laughs> I mean, vacuum. <laughs> yes, and I just assumed that because my son had been stuck, she was saying in case the next one is, yeah, it can be say, a vacuum birth. <laughs> I can totally see how you would have related that. Like I really do. I just had no idea. And it's crazy that once you have a C-section, it's like a stamp. And you are forever a VBAC or another C-section. And I had no idea. So, But you don't know what you don't know. And so back to being pregnant with my second I found the most amazing provider and I knew right away that I would need support. I was so worried about a hospital because you hear those horror stories about how you just kind of get pushed around and bullied in hospitals sometimes. Um, And I know that's not, yes. And I don't think that's the normal, but I know that it can happen and I didn't want to have to feel like I was fighting. And so I messaged a couple of doulas and I met up with them and they just kind of weren't like the right fit for me. And then I remembered that the VBAC link has a full list of doulas that are certified through you guys. And I really wanted someone that knew about VBAC. So I went and looked at your list and there was a small handful in Washington, but one of them was in Wenatchee. And I reached out, her name is Christine Potter and she was amazing. The instant I met her, I knew that she was perfect. She was so warm and kind and supportive. And I remember my son was just running around everywhere at this cafe we met. And she looks at me, she's like, there's a park down the street. Do you want to walk there? 
And so we started walking to the park and it was icy and I'm holding my son and I almost slip. And she doesn't even hesitate. She reaches over and she picks up my son out of my arms and starts walking with him instead. And I knew right away that she was perfect. She preemptively like helped with everything before even I realized I needed help. <laughs> and so that's I stayed it, in contact. That's how it should be though. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. She saw my needs before even I realized that I needed them. And she was like that throughout the entire pregnancy. And so I had a really normal pregnancy. Um, with my first, I gained about 70 pounds. And then with this one, I gained about 50. But I was walking. I was a lot more active. You can't sit around as much when you have a toddler. <laughs> and around 36 weeks, my doctor and I sit down and, and we're talking about what I'm looking for with my birth. And she's like, I know you said you don't want to be induced. What is that looking like for you? And I was like, well, I would really prefer not to be induced. I don't want any medic. Like, I don't want Pitocin. I don't want an epidural. I'd really like for my body to do things as naturally as possible. And she's like, okay, if you change your mind, just let me know. And that was the whole conversation. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then, and she knew that I had had, that my son was 10 pounds, one ounce. And every now and then she'd asked if this baby felt any larger. And I was like, I really couldn't even tell you. It's such a different pregnancy. I wouldn't know. And at about 36 weeks, every time I went in, the nurse that would check me in would ask me if I was ready for my cervical check. And each time I'd say, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And so at 38 weeks, I decided to ask my doctor, hey, I've done my research, but is there really any reason for a cervical check that, that I should know about? And it was really nice because she's just really upfront and really honest. And she's like, no, there is honestly no reason for a cervical check unless you want a membrane sweep or if you're just interested in where your body's at. It doesn't make a difference and it doesn't do anything. So which was perfect. So when I hit 39 weeks, my older sister came to stay with us. We don't have any family in the area. So she was here to be here until we had the baby to be able to watch our son. So over the next week, up until my due date, we're walking every day. We're being really active and just kind of trying to get the baby out. And so I hit 40 weeks and my husband and I sit down and we decided that at my next doctor's appointment, I would ask for a membrane sweep. I would do a circle check, get the membrane sweep and go from there. Because my son was so late, I just kind of had it in my head that if I went past 41 weeks, it would kind of hit that spot for me of starting to be more afraid of a VBAC and the reality of it. And I didn't want to be thinking about a C-section while I was working so hard for this feedback. Mm -hmm. And so at 41 weeks and three days, I go into my doctor's appointment to do a membrane sweep. And I get there and the nurse is, it was really crazy because the nurse who's been asking me if I want the cervical check each time, she's like, I can't believe you're still pregnant are we planning your induction today? What are we doing? And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> we're, we're just going to do a cervical check. I don't want an induction. And so it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm three days past my due date. And my doctor comes in, she does the cervical check and I am not dilated at all. <laughs> so they can't do the membrane sweep. And 
at this point, it was almost, again, like relief, like it's out of my hands because I felt kind of conflicted about it. I wanted my body to do things naturally and on its own, but I was so worried about going past 41 weeks that we had decided to do a membrane sweep if it was possible. But because I wasn't dilated at all, it wasn't possible. And it was just like, okay, it's out of my hands. I've done everything I can. Whatever happens at this point happens. So we leave the doctor's appointment and we go to the park with my son and my best friend and her kiddo, my sister, my husband, and we just kind of spend the rest of the day really just enjoying the moment and getting to be outside and getting to be together. And at between five and six, I realize I'm getting a lot of Braxton Hicks and they're just still going and going and usually they taper off and die down and around seven o'clock, I realized they're still going. And so I decided to just start casually looking at my watch and seeing how far apart they are. And they're about five to seven minutes apart. And after I realized that, I start timing them in between. And they're about an hour, excuse me, they're about a minute each. So they're five to seven minutes apart, a minute each. But it just feels like Braxton Hicks. So I'm like, oh, my body is just doing its thing. And about 10 o'clock, it's still going. And I stand up and my sister looks at me and my husband looks at me and I look down and my stomach has dropped. It is the lowest it has ever been because my son didn't drop. And we're like, whoa, that's crazy. And I'm still thinking that this is just prodermal labor, Braxton Hicks. And so at about 10 o'clock, I decide I'm going to go and lay down. And I lay down in bed and all of a sudden they get so much stronger and I can't sleep through them. I'm really uncomfortable. And so at midnight, I decide to draw a bath. I'm like, if this is prodromal labor, a bath should help it stop so I can get some sleep tonight. And as I'm drawing my bath, it wakes up my husband and he comes in and he sits next to me and I try and convince him to go back to sleep. I'm like, this is nothing it's just prodromal labor. And if it's not, then you should still get some sleep before anything happens. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving. (laughs) Uh, So he sat next to me and uh, I have him text my doula and tell her that they're like five minutes apart, about a minute each, but I'm still not quite convinced that anything's happening. And probably within 15 minutes of being in the bath, my contractions go from five to seven minutes apart down to two minutes apart, a minute each. And I'm someone who always thought I would want this natural, beautiful water birth. And I hated being on the water. I hated it. (laughs) I wanted to move. I felt so trapped and I just, I needed to be moving. Mm -hmm. So funny how that works. You like, it is like, (laughs) I always envisioned giving birth in the tub and I gave birth on the bathroom floor. (laughs) no I just I was like I need to move I can't just sit in this water anymore (laughs) so my contractions within an hour went from five minutes apart down to two minutes apart still a minute each and it's all in my back and it is just really strong and so my doula is she messages me and she's like your contractions are pretty close together are you ready for some more support and I say yes. So she comes over. At this point, my husband and I are in the living room. I'm on my birth ball. I'm moving. I'm using him as support during each contraction. And 
well, I go and I wake up my sister. I'm like, hey, I think I'm actually in labor. And I just want you to know that you're going to be here alone with, with our son soon. And so she comes out into the living room also to be a big support. My sister is almost like my mom. She's nine years older. So she was really great about being there for whatever I needed as well. And so my doula gets there probably about 1.30 and she starts doing some rebozo on me, starts having my husband doing some rebozo on me and they try and do some counter pressure. And again, I hate it. I'm like, don't touch me. (laughs) I know you're trying to help me. Don't touch me. (laughs) And so at this point, they're still two minutes apart, a minute each, and I'm getting really vocal. I didn't feel the need to get vocal with my son at all, but this one, I, I understood what my midwife was asking me to do the first time. I couldn't help it. It was like those deep moans. And so I'm getting really worried about waking up my son in the other room. And so we decided to go to the hospital at 3 a.m. So it's about, it's a little over 12 hours since I had been at the doctor and I hadn't been dilated at all. And we get to the hospital, they check me in. And I am maybe a centimeter dilated. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, almost exactly like what with yeah. what happened with my son, right? Was, but feeling further this time, like mentally, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, definitely. But I could feel the changes in my body this time. And I didn't feel the changes at all mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. son. And so I was like, things are happening now. I understand now. <laughs> I see mm-hmm. what was missing the first time. And so... We go ahead and they decide to check me in because uh, because my contractions are still so close together. They're consistently two minutes apart. And the nurses look at my med- at my doula and they're like, hey, is, has it been back labor the whole time? And she says yes. So again, she knew right away what was happening and I wasn't sure. But my baby was OP, so her spine was to my spine. And it was miserable. I had planned for unmedicated. I wanted to be able to move around. I wanted to be able to experience this birth, but more than anything, I wanted to be able to enjoy it. And I told my husband, I was like, I am not going to be able to enjoy this as long as I have this back labor. I need an epidural. And he was really supportive. He's like, I just, I want to make sure that that you actually want this because you've talked so much about not wanting an epidural. And I was like, it's so important for me to be able to look back and be excited about this birth and not look back and cringe about how much pain I was in the whole time. So it gets to be about 6 a.m. and I asked the nurse when I can have an epidural and they didn't check me again. So as far as they know, I'm still at one centimeter and they're like, we will order one for you right now. Mm. And they're like, the only thing we ask is that while you can still be up moving around, have your doula do some more rebozo on you to try and flip the baby around. And so I go and I sit on the toilet backwards and Christine starts doing some rebozo, trying to help flip the baby and baby's just not having it. So by 6.30, I have the epidural, starts working immediately and I can feel my legs, which was fantastic. It just kind of, it numbed the pain, which was great, but I could still move around in the bed, no issues at all. So at 7 a.m., it was shift change, and that is when I met my new doctor. And 
I hadn't had another cervical check since I had first been checked in. And this doctor walks in at 7.30 and he introduces himself and he sits down and he leans forward and looks at me. At this point, I think he's only read my chart. And the first thing he says is, do you want more kids? Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) yeah. And I was like, we talk about having a third sometimes. And he's just sitting there silent. I'm like, are you asking because of a C-section? Because he didn't say anything after that. He's like, yes, I am. And I was like, okay, why are you asking that? And he's like, well, at this point, our fear is that the same exact thing is happening that happened with your first. And, you know, you had such a large baby the first time that, and shoulder dystocia is such a tragic thing when it happens. And, you know, with the VBAC, you can rupture. And although it might not happen very often, when it does, it's absolutely awful and tragic. And he's okay. really laying so on. Lots of fear. Yes. Lots of fear just being poured out onto you. Yes. In a and very vulnerable state already. Yes. And I was like, I understand. I have done the research, but I really am looking forward to doing this VBAC. And he's like, okay. But why? Why do you even want to have birth naturally? (laughs) And right. And at this point, my doula has also left. She after I got the epidural, she asked if it was okay if she went to sleep, if she went home to sleep. And I was like, absolutely go for it. And she had her phone on loud. So at this point, it's the doctor, me and my husband. And I'm like, I want a VBAC because I have a two year old at home that I need to be able to go home and play with. And it's really important to me because I wasn't mentally present when my son was born. Mm -hmm. I just felt really out of it. And I really want to be mentally present for this baby. And he's like, okay, but I don't even think that your body's going to be able to progress past what it already is. You haven't done it before. And he, and I was like, okay, I'm not concerned about what my body is able to do. If you would like to do a cervical check to see where I am, that is completely fine but I'm not worried about it. Mm -hmm. And he, (laughs) he actually word for word says, okay, well, I would like to see if your bony pelvis is even capable of birthing a child. Oh boy. (laughs) And he, and he has never touched you before. No, absolutely not. First time meeting him. Yeah. No, I have this huge blanket over me. He can't even see my pelvis for starters. Seeing your pelvis as a bony pelvis. Yes, correct. Okay. (laughs) And so he keeps trying to tell me about how how he doesn't think I'm gonna progress at all. And so it goes on for about 20 minutes before he's even checked me still. And it gets to the point where I tell him, Can you please do the cervical check? If I'm not dilated past the one, we can keep talking about what you're wanting to talk about. But unless me or baby is in danger, I am planning on this feedback. Mm -hmm. And he lets me know right then that baby being in danger is really subjective to what the doctor views as danger. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) And I just said, can we please do the cervical check? And we do the cervical check and lo and behold, I'm four centimeters. (laughs) Yes. And 
it was funny because he was like, that's interesting. When I started the cervical check, you were at a one, but now you're at a four. So he was saying while he did it, I went from one to a four. And I'm like, I don't even know if that's possible, but whatever. You can see that my body's progressing. Yeah. So he gives the okay for me to continue, or I guess he gives me his blessing to continue the VBAC because I was doing it one way or another. And so he leaves the room and uh, my husband and I just sleep. We sleep until about noon, which is when our doula came back. And around two o'clock, the nurse comes in and she asks if she can do a cervical check. And I'm still only at a four. Um, Nothing's changed at all. But my contractions were still really consistently every two minutes apart. And because you could see it on the monitor, baby's heart rate was great. So they weren't worried. They just kind of let me keep doing what my body wanted to. Oh, also, because I could move every hour, I was changing positions with the peanut ball. So I'd be on my right side for an hour and then my left side for an hour. And I just kept going back and forth. And then so probably about four o'clock, I decide I kind of want to see if gravity can help at all. So my doula and my husband helped me get onto all fours on the bed and they start doing some rebozo work for me. She does it for a little bit and then she shows my husband how to do it and he does it. And I'm in that position for about an hour. And then after that, we do the throne position for an hour. And then by then I'm exhausted again. And with an epidural, it's really easy to forget that your body is running a marathon. So while you're getting exhausted and you think that you're just sitting there, your body is doing so, no, your body's (laughs) doing so much work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I'm exhausted and I decide to lay down for a little bit. The doctor comes in at about six o'clock and he checks me and I'm at a seven. So after that, about every hour, the nurse would ask me if I wanted a cervical check and I kept declining because I could start to feel pressure in my pelvis. And so I knew that we were getting closer but I didn't want to do a cervical check and have them see that I was at a 10 and try and get me to start pushing because, you know, I really learned a lot listening to your guys' podcast. And just because you're at a 10, it doesn't mean that you're ready to have the baby. And so I kept declining until I was feeling a lot of pressure between my bottom and my pelvis. I felt just a lot of pressure had built. And so at about 10, 15 my nurse checks me and she says that I am at least at a nine, but she didn't want to check further than that because my water was bulging. It hadn't broken yet. And so I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go nap some more. <laughs> and then I wake up at 1115 to the doctor coming in and he has two other nurses with him. And so they walk in and the doctor wakes me up, he has me lay on my back, and he says that we're about to get going. What I didn't know at this point is that my daughter's heart rate had been having these small drops. And so it's 11.15, they get everything all set up. And it was funny because we had actually planned to have my husband catch the baby. Uh, So my doctor kind of walks my husband through what that's going to look like. And I'm on my back 
And he's like, with this next contraction, I want you to bear down. And I did, and my water broke. And so the doctor at this point looks at me. It's the same doctor as in the beginning. And he says, okay, you can't feel your contraction, so I'm going to tell you when to push. And I let him know I actually can feel my contraction, so I will be pushing on my own. <laughs> I say, did he ask? No, he kept telling me what was happening with my body. He kept not asking me. Oh. And I was like, I will be doing this. Thank you. And he's like, well, you can try. And this man has the audacity to turn around and start talking to a nurse during my next three contractions. And each one I'm pushing. I'm not making any sounds, but I'm pushing. Yeah. And he turns back to me and he's like, are you going to start pushing? And um. I was like, I, the nurse who was with me was like, she's been pushing each time. And he looks at me, again, hasn't even watched me through a contraction, is like, you're going to have to push a lot harder than that if you want this baby out. <laughs> and he continues with, this is going to be, this baby is OP, which means it's going to be a lot harder and a lot more work, and it's going to be a lot more difficult. You're going to be pushing for hours, so you need to be prepared for that. And oh, I was just completely almost just tuning him out at this point right he's not helping me he's not mentally encouraging me he's just telling me how hard it's going to be over and over and over again so he finally watches me push on the next one and he's like oh that wasn't bad thank you I'm aware <laughs> and so I'm still on my back and it feels so uncomfortable I know I have the epidural and I'm feeling all the pressure but I do not want to be on my back and I look at him and I'm like, hey, I would like to move on to all fours. Is that okay? And he stops and he looks at me <laughs> and he says, well, I guess you can, but you're going to make it a lot harder for me and the nurse if you do that. And okay. I... Well, thank you for letting me... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I am making it harder on you. <laughs> yes. Like, this is not I'm your birth. This is my birth. <laughs> Yep. And so it's 1115 and he sends the two nurses that he brought in away. So it's me, my husband, my doula, the doctor and the nurse that's assigned to me. And I switch on to all fours and my baby's heart rate evens out. And he's like, oh, it looks like the baby actually really likes that position. So I'm pushing with each contraction. But again, I don't feel this need to push. And I'm almost getting frustrated that I'm pushing because I don't want to be. Nothing in me is saying push. And I know I've had the epidural and I know it can numb you. But at this point, I felt like my body had told me everything to do. So I didn't know why I wasn't listening to it. And so I decided to start listening to my body instead of the doctors. And I stopped pushing. I'm on all fours and I just start swaying my hips back and forth. And I do that for about three contractions. And the nurse really kindly and really gently is like, hey, you're having a contraction. I was like, I know, I'm taking a break. And the doctor <laughs> at midnight walks over to the nurse, doesn't look at me, doesn't say anything. And he says to the nurse, baby's still OP. This is going to take a while. I'm going to go do other things. And he walks out. And my first thought is, why am I pushing if he doesn't even think I'm going to have this baby anytime mm -hmm. soon? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I turn and I say that to the nurse. And she's like, well, you know, it can just take a lot of time. And I was like, I don't think I should be pushing. So I would like to just labor longer. So the nurse and my doula start talking about the best position to get me in for to just kind of like sit there and labor more. And I'm still on all fours and I'm swaying my hips and I keep going into the resting child position and I, I can't stop moving. And um, I feel so much pressure, but I don't feel the need to push, but I can't stop moving. It feels almost like this tingling is happening. And at 12.08, I go into the resting child position and I feel my daughter flip and go directly into my pelvis. And immediately I knew I needed to push. It was enough that, yes, it was eight minutes after the doctor left the room. And I actually, she dropped so far down that I actually reached my hand down to see if I could feel her head because it was just so quick and so sudden. And I came back up and all I had was just some blood on my hand, but I was like, it's about to happen. And I'm on all fours and all of a sudden I start pooping. (laughs) And so the nurse goes to clean me up and she sees the head start coming out. And she runs over and she presses a button and she calls anyone that's in the hallway and she runs back up to me and she's like, you need to slow down. And the only thought I had was I'm not slowing down for anyone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My doctor chose to leave. I am doing this. And so I go and it was absolutely amazing because I felt everything, but it was just, it felt so natural and so right. And so within two, three pushes, she was completely out. A nurse had ran in and caught her. She was, as they put it, she was a little floppy when she was born. So they had to cut the umbilical cord pretty quick and just bring her over to their little warming area and kind of help her out for a minute. So she didn't immediately get placed on my chest or anything, but that was totally fine. I was just so excited and so proud that I had done it. And the doctor walks in five minutes later (laughs) and he's just like, wow, that happened really fast. And um, I had a second degree tear. And again, you would think at this point he would start asking me questions, but he's like, you can't feel anything. So I'm going to start stitching you. And I tell him again, I can feel everything. So he gives me a little bit of numbing, but not enough to numb everything. But he finishes stitching me up. And one of my really big fears about having a VBAC was actually that I would feel an immediate love and connection to this baby when I didn't with my first. And I was really worried about guilt that would come with that. Mm -hmm. But kind of for me, it was almost cool because I didn't feel that immediate love for this baby either. And not in a bad way. I felt so protective and I knew that she was mine. But you give birth to a little stranger, you know? And that's not wrong. There's no issue with that because I still knew that I would do anything for her, super protective. But just like with my son, it just took a little bit for those love hormones to really hit me hard. And that was my VBAC. It was amazing. And I got to come home and I got to play with my son and I got to hold him. And it was just exactly what I wanted it to be. Hmm. Love that. I love that. And I love... I love when like 
I, I hate when providers doubt, but I love when people prove providers wrong. <laughs> it's yeah. so bad. But I'm it was like, my favorite part. I'm, I'm not like, going to lie to you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like that was one of the things right after I had my baby, I was like, yeah, I did that to my dog. Like I like said his name and was like, yep, I did that. You know, like, in fact, I actually said, screw you. <laughs> it was so funny. My doula like, took notes. <laughs> yes, exactly. My doula took notes throughout the entire birthing pro- process to be able to give to me later. And when the doctor left the room, she actually wrote a specific note saying, so glad he left. He was not bringing any good energy. And then after I gave birth to uh, my daughter, she wrote a note saying, gave birth, doing amazing, felt good to just almost give a giant, like, screw you to the doctor. Um, (laughs) I know. And it's like, I don't want to like feel that way. I really don't. But Man, but it feels kind of good. <laughs> it does feel good. And there is no reason to doubt when nothing was telling anybody anything but positive. Yes, and exactly. He brought this negative feeling into the space that was undesired. And then I placed fear and doubt. And, you know, it's just, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. So um, and you had started with it, you know, like you said, shift change and here you meet your new doctor yes. who's already telling you your pelvis is probably bony and things like that. And, um, you know, I would say, what would be one of your tips to our listeners? Because unfortunately this happens all the time where we're with our supportive provider yet that supportive provider is unable to specialize. I call it specialized, meaning like only see and catch you know, your baby, they, they're mm-hmm. in like a, you know, a shift, which I understand why these providers out there work in shifts, right? It's hard work. They're long shifts. They get tired, they get burnout. So we're grateful for all the providers out there, but what would you, what tips would you personally give to anyone that one, maybe going into it with an unsupportive provider because they're unable to find a supportive provider in their area and two, dealing with, dealing with that shift and that doubt and that fear that was placed. I think that the biggest thing to remember is that you and the doctor have the same exact goal. You both want a healthy baby and a healthy mom, but you guys might have two different routes on how to get there. That doesn't mean that either is wrong, but I think that just knowing that you have the final say It's not up to the doctor. Really anything that they're saying is a suggestion. It's up to you. It's your body. It's your baby. And it's your birth. They're not going to look back on your birth and be like, oh, wow, such a great job. They're going to, if it's a C-section, they might look back and be like, wow, that was some great stitch work, right? If it's a vaginal, wow, that went really smoothly. But it's your birth. You have to live with it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes, you're not going to forget it. You're going to look back on it. It's your birth story, not their birth story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is something that even when I was debating on changing providers in the end, it was like, I, and I love that provider, but in the end, like this is an experience that I am going to live with for the rest mm-hmm. of my life that I am going to hold on to. And although I agree, like our providers are there, to have a safe mom, safe baby, everyone healthy, happy. That is true. However, they're not going to live 
with this experience for the rest of their life more than likely, right? Some providers may hold on to, I'm sure they have births that they hold on to, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's more unlikely that they're going to remember your birth forever, right? People aren't going to go up to them and be like, hey, how was that birth today? Yeah. People go up to you and be like, how was the birth? Right. Or do you remember that birth four years ago? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Which one? I had like five that day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, and so it's your birth. It's your baby. It's your experience. And it's okay for you to stand up. Um, We do have a blog uh, or a blog on VBAC friendly care providers and um, how, you know, all the different types of providers, because we've got um, midwives, we have family doctors, we got OBGYNs, we got MFMs, which is maternal fetal medicine docs. We have a lot of people that can help with VBAC and it's just finding the right provider for you. Mm-hmm. And this blog talks all about that, how to find out whether or not they are truly supportive or not questions that we've got some questions in there. If you are looking to start interviewing VBAC providers, check out our blog, the vbaclink.com slash blog. Um, It's all about finding supportive provider. We've got lots of questions in there that you can take with you while you are interviewing providers. And even if you're not interviewing providers, feel free to take those questions with you to your prenatals. They always say, do you have any questions, right? Um, Well, usually in prenatal visits, and a lot of times we don't really have any questions or we don't really know what questions to ask. But a lot of these questions are really great to kind of do a little check-in and see if your provider is truly supportive in your desires of the way you want to birth. And sometimes that's in regards to a VBAC. And sometimes that's maybe I don't want, you know, through your research and your learning and you're not comfortable or you're not desiring a VBAC, talk about CBAC or, you know, having a a scheduled cesarean and, and ask those questions as well. You know, so we also have a blog on CBAC. Um, if you are not wanting to VBAC, kind of how to do a family-centered cesarean as well. So we'll provide those in the show notes for you and um, definitely suggest taking these with you along with your provider because it can help. And if you're like Zoe and you run into a situation where a non-supportive provider comes in, like she said, stand your ground. This is your birth. It's okay to be strong. It's okay to advocate for yourself. So I'm proud of you. So happy for you. Huge congrats. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And just one more thing to add that if any doctor is trying to use fear tactics, it's the last thing you want to do is make a decision out of fear. That is not going to give you the result that you want. Yes. Just do what your heart is telling you, but don't do it because you're afraid. Yeah. You know, earlier before we started um, talking, you were talking about don't make a decision that's fueled by fear and that that can happen. And sometimes, it, you know, when you've got, got those scary things coming in and being said, you feel like you have to make a quick decision mm-hmm. because those scary things seem urgent. And sometimes it might be, sometimes it's like, we have to go down for a C-section And you have to like make those decisions really quick. But a lot of the times, you know, you can stop, wait, discuss, look at the pros, the cons, the alternatives, and really go through things and not make a decision that's fueled by fear and fueled by education and peace and knowledge and following your intuition. 
Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at thevbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.